0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. It's uh, my privilege to be with you here today. And um, I just wanted to thank uh, Dr. Williams and Dr. Harding for inviting me today to speak to you. Uh, My children go to a uh, Christian school, Delaware County Christian School. Any graduates here? Ah, yes. (laughs) Is that Maya? I can't see. Is that... No, that's not Maya, is it? Okay, anyway. uh, Fantastic. So, I know how important chapel is. Uh, You know, um, this past September, I um, had the great privilege of performing uh, at the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, which is not known for classical music, obviously. And uh, I was playing like in Christ alone and and things that are not classical and that are Christian and things that I have never enjoyed. I'm the, my wife and I always have this tension because she wants to go to the service where they do contemporary Christian music and I always want to go to the one with like the old like hymn singing and traditional church music. So if you had told me many years ago that I would end up on the stage of the grand old Opry playing contemporary Christian music and loving it, I would have told you you were crazy. Uh, and if you had told me a few years ago that I would end up at a Christian college today on the faculty speaking about my faith and my life to a bunch of young Christians, uh, I would have told you you were crazy. I'm pretty pretty new to the fold as a, as a believer, uh, but I'll, I'll get to that part. Um, as Dr. Harding mentioned to you, uh, I started playing the violin at the age of three, but my journey to become concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra uh, began way before then. Um, my parents came to this country from their native Korea in 1962-ish, and um, when my mother, uh, they were still studying, they were getting their master's degree in Illinois, and when they, my mother became pregnant, expected with me, she decided... I think within her first trimester, she decided, okay, I'm going to have a son. And she was too poor. I don't know if they did they even have ultrasound back then to tell the, the, the gender of the child? But uh, she said, nope, I'm just I'm going to have a son and I'm going to train that son to become a world famous concert violinist. So uh, when I turned three, Santa Claus brought me a 18th size violin, which is not much bigger than this microphone. Really, and um, so I, I began this incredible journey with my mother just being the uber stage mom. So I began practicing with one hour a day and uh, she hired a teacher to come to our house every day for one hour. And uh, she was getting her doctorate by that point. And um, there's a crazy story they were, my parents were so poor, and so they would just, sometimes they would just look for any babysitter that they'd never met before, just to keep their son for a few hours and scratch away on the violin. And they said, once they left me at a place and they had a pet monkey, these kind of hippie students with this monkey that was kind of climbing all over the apartment, and my father says to this day, it was so hard to walk out of that door and leave my child there. But he did have to practice for one hour. So, um, and so uh, my mom believed that every day you practice more than you practice the day before. So, by the time I was six, seven, I was up to four hours a day. And then by the time I was eight, it was like five hours a day. And that's just practicing. There was also time spent away from the instrument learning about music and the violin and just music in general. Um, when I was eight, my mother decided, okay, you, if you're going to be one of the great violinists of the world, you must have one of the great teachers of the world. So we went to New York to the Juilliard School so I could audition for Dorothy DeLay, one of the wonder- most uh, famous pedagogues of the 20th century for violin And uh, she accepted me. And at that point we lived near Pittsburgh. So once a month we would drive over from Pittsburgh and I would take a two hour lesson. And then shortly after that, we moved to South Carolina. My parents hit the academia jackpot. They both got tenure track positions at the University of South Carolina. And so um, from South Carolina, uh, every other week my mom would get in the airplane with me and we would fly to Juilliard, which is at Lincoln Center in New York. And uh, I would take a full day of courses at Juilliard, and then um, orchestra, chamber music, which is playing small groups, lesson with Miss Delay, music theory, music uh, pedagogy, you know, all that. And then um, when I was 11, the airlines, that was the cutoff age, and they allowed me to fly alone. So starting at the age of 11, every other Saturday morning, my mother would drive me to the airport and leave me, and I would fly by myself through Charlotte, connect through Charlotte and get out at LaGuardia Airport in New York, go to the taxi stand, take a taxi through Queens, go to Juilliard, take a full day of classes, and then at night in the dark, go back out on the Broadway, hail a cab, go to LaGuardia, connect through Charlotte, and get back to South Carolina about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I, I knew all the flight attendants, I knew all the pilots, because it was the same route every other week. Um, it was... That was the best part. That was the treat, going to Juilliard. The bad part was being at home with my mother every day. It was torture because she just practiced. She didn't just stick me in a room. She practiced with me for five hours, screaming, yelling, hitting me over the head with my etude books. It was just torture, and I hated it. I hated the violin. I hated music. I don't think I hated my mother but I'm not sure there were moments of course <laughs> there were moments of course that I hated her not profoundly but um and then uh it it my my, my day would begin with sitting at the breakfast table and my mother would um turn on Record after record of contemporary music, of 14th century music, all different kinds of music. And, and teach me about the composers, about the structure and architecture of the music. Uh, and then um, teaching me about conducting. I would conduct with my cereal spoon every morning. And then um, I would get home from school. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with this thing called perfect pitch. Perfect, perfect pitch is, yes, one person has it. Laughter. Um, And absolute pitch is the ability, I'm sure actually, I'm sure many of you have it. It's the ability to identify notes without seeing it. And you can, some people say you're born with it. Some people say you can develop it. And my mom was just determined. She said, if you're not born with it, I I will develop it for you. So every day I would get home from school and sit at the piano, next to the piano with my eyes closed and my mother would play Ginormous chords, and I would just identify note after note after note. That's what they call ear training. And then, um, and then I would practice. And then, um, my mom was so sure that I was going to be a famous violinist that she wanted to have a David Kim archive. So she set up this incredible recording studio in our home, and um, with expensive microphones and a made a recording studio in our living room. And every time I finished a piece, she would have me practice my public speaking at the microphone, and we would record what I had practiced for the past few weeks. So if you come to my home, I've got these boxes and boxes of reel-to-reel tapes of me from the age of about three until about 12, 13 years old. Uh, It was, did I mention that it was an unhappy childhood? I I forgot if I (laughs) told you that part. Um, my father was not a musician, and he was the voice of reason through all this. He was a uh, professor of computer science, and he when my mother was out of the house, he would be like, "Oh, put that thing down let 's let me go sh- teach you like how to throw a ball or how to run or something you know <laughs> normal, <laughs> how to read." <laughs> And my father did believe that. He did. He supported my musical aspirations or my mother's musical aspirations. But he understood that the only way I was going to become a more complete musician was if I would have a broader life experience. And so he encouraged me to watch wonderful cinema, um, to read great novels, to enjoy sports, you know, things like that. Um, my father wanted to have more children and my mother refused. My mother said, are you crazy? Uh, that would be the biggest distraction to what we're trying to do with David. So I'm an only child. Um, when I was 10, you know, classical musicians in the summertime, we go to f- music festivals in really wonderful places all over the world and mountain resorts. and So at, at the age of 10, I received a full scholarship to go to the Aspen Music Festival in Colorado. And so I went, and the first year, again, with my mother, nine weeks, five hours a day, you know, all that. But when I was 11, it was so expensive that my mom sent me alone. What a mistake. Uh, I just went Berserk for nine weeks, and I didn't touch the violin. I didn't bathe for the nine weeks. <laughs> I, I mean, I like ate hamburgers and hot dogs for nine weeks. It was just, it was just like I just kind of had to let everything go that was just pent up in, in, from regular life. And Miss um, DeLay, I think she understood deep inside that I needed that because she never really gave me much of a hard time. And then at the end of nine weeks, I'd fly back to South Carolina, and my mom would be like, uh, you never unpacked your suitcase. You know, literally, I wore one t-shirt and a pair of shorts the entire summer. It was like Lord of the Rings. No, is that what the word? Lord of the Flies. Yeah, Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Lord of the Rings, and then I was like Gollum. (laughs) So while I was in Aspen, I mean, I was at a dorm, and my mother would be calling the dorm like every hour, trying to f- keep track of me and all this. Um, when I was 14, I went every summer. I got this full scholarship every summer, and meanwhile, I'm performing all over the all over the country with my mom as my piano pianist, and um, I'm on television as a child prodigy and. Um, You know, our relationship continues to be as volatile as ever, but loving in some ways. And uh, my mom, she would absolutely forget to feed me dinner sometimes. You know, I'd be like... It'd be like 10 o'clock at night. It's like sixth sixth grader. And I'd be be like... My stomach would be growling. She'd be like, oh, sorry. And she would run and get like a grape soda and donuts. And that was dinner. This woman had totally just focus and intensity. She was about this tall and had these little kind of like kitty glasses, like far side. And um, she was just, man, she was intense. And um, so when I was 14, I met at uh, Aspen and suddenly the phone calls stop. And I, I don't get it. And uh, with my puny 14-year-old brain, I don't get it, but she does call once in a while and very mellow. Hey, I love you. Are you having fun? Have you made new friends? And I didn't quite know what was going on. I didn't, nor was I that curious. I was just like, fine, you know, 14-year-old boy. And uh, I came came back after nine weeks in Aspen and my mother was dying of cancer. And They had diagnosed her the day after I left for Aspen in June and I came back at the end of August and She had she was already tiny and she had just shrunk and she was just tiny and She lasted another maybe three four months and then she passed away and on her deathbed. She told my father she said I Just want him to be happy and healthy and if he wants to quit playing the violin That's fine. I just You have my blessing to do that. And he told me that. So for about the next three or four years, I barely touched the violin. Uh, My father said, you know what? We need a fresh start. So we moved to Buffalo, of all places. We moved to Buffalo in January in 77, which is like when they had like this biblical blizzard. And we moved in the middle of that. My, my brother, my dog, got hit by a car and was killed. We had a car accident on the way. It was just awful, awful. From Buffalo, I flew every Saturday, but I would just go in and sit on the couch and talk with Miss Delay, and no real learning going on violinistically. Um, yeah, those three years, I have to say, were really kind of wandering in the wilderness um, in many ways. Uh, Horrible, really, for me, personally. I was depressed. My father, at that point, had descended into alcoholism. So um, I was, uh, there's a word they use in therapy called parentify. I was parentified at the age of 14, meaning I was cooking. I was cleaning. I was helping my dad walk up the driveway as he staggered out of the car. You know, this, I was parentified. So it was a terribly depressing time and um it came time for me to go to college and miss delay said honey just let's make a plan let's do something with all this talent that you have so uh she said let's make a goal in 86 six years away go to moscow in russia to the tchaikovsky competition and try to win one of those prizes so for six years we worked hard and i went and won that prize and i thought okay world, all that promise of child prodigy and talent and everybody said, you're going to be a famous violinist, it's going to happen now, and it almost did, but didn't quite. Uh, And then many, many years went by. I met my wife, whose father started her on golf when she was five (laughs) to make her a world famous golfer. So uh, she grew up in Cleveland and then became an all-American at Ohio State University as a golfer. And uh, almost went to the LPGA, but then missed it by one stroke, one shot, and then she just burned out. She said, I hate golf. I quit. And she did. Um, So the years are going by, and just a little side note, since we're at Cairn, about my faith. Um, (laughs) Dr. Williams is like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Who invited this guy? (laughs) Uh, anyway, no, no, I'm, I joke um, <laughs> My mother My whole life growing up She was always the church organist Wherever we went, she made extra money by playing in church I was allowed to miss church All the time Because if I missed church, that meant I was playing the violin So she didn't care Remember? she, The lady that forgot to feed me So obviously spiritual food Was not on the high priority list either But I was waiting for the Lord my whole life. I was kind of like, what do they call it, a seeker? I I, I wasn't sure. I was always waiting for that moment. And then as I went to Juilliard and, you know, a little bit of Campus Crusade and just meeting people and fellow believers, or not fellow believers yet, and then I just wasn't sure when it was going to happen because everybody always had, like, all this, this great answer for me. They were like, oh, well, I was sitting in my car. It was November 13th, 1999 and uh, 4.44 p.m. And uh, I was saved. And I'm like, really? All right. I'm so happy for you. You know, like, uh, what about me? When is it going to happen for me? And I was waiting and waiting. I met my wife who grew up with, in the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> whoa so i couldn't see the screen but like as soon as i met her her father was like my future father-in-law was like you're getting dunked and so i was at their church and i couldn't swim my mother never taught me how to swim so i was afraid of the water and i'm like ah! it was so frightening in a pool this deep i was petrified And then we had our first child, and everybody said, "Oh, is Natalie going to be a violinist or a golfer?" And you know, so. And then suddenly we had another child, so we have two daughters, and everybody said, "Okay, is Maggie going to be the golfer? Is Natalie going to be the violinist, or is it going to be the?" And. Uh, Again, I'm just waiting. We had such a hard time conceiving. We waited five years, and my wife cried out to the Lord. And we were this close to just giving up, and then, what a gift. And then, um, so all all of these places along the way, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be my moment. And then when we had Natalie, I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to be a, a believer now. But I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it. I didn't feel that, I, whatever it is. And then, oh, second child, what a gift. Maggie's here. Uh, no, not then either. And then just, so finally, when it happened was at orientation of preschool for my first kid. Uh, at our church, our future church, which we attend now, Church of the Savior in Wayne, um, just met a korean-american missionary who was in J- who had been going to japan and just through meeting him um my wife met the wife and said uh came home one day and said listen i met these people at orientation michael and pearl O. Oh, they're missionaries they're going to japan in a few months i invited them over for lunch and i was like oh listen you handle that i'll just say hello and then i'm just going to go up to my office and work and they walked in the room, walked into our kitchen, and this was 19, uh, 2003, this was 2003, and they walked in the room, and the Holy Spirit just went bow. He just went, uh, Michael, nice to meet you, I'm David. And then, and then I said, so what are you doing? And he said, oh, well, I'm, I'm actually moving my family. We're going to Japan in three months, and we're gonna start a theological seminary in Nagoya because it's a very dark country and we need to help raise up the next generation. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And I was looking at him and I just felt the words come out of my mouth. I was like, how can I help? And in the course of helping him, I organized a concert at the Kimmel Center, two concerts at the Kimmel Center, we produced a CD. I went to Japan twice for concerts all this, and now it's a thriving seminary in Nagoya, Japan, and uh, through that process of several months, I accepted Christ as my Savior. So um, all, all of that to say, uh, now that I'm in this incredible position, I've been concertmaster here in Philly for almost 20 years, and I I have wondered many times along the way, like, God, what do you... Why did you do this for me? Why did you... Surely it's not just to make me feel... To feed this enormous ego inside of me. Why did you put me in this position? And it's taken me a long time to get there. And ironically, through these concerts with Keith and Kristen Getty at Carnegie Hall and in Nashville at the Grand Old Opry and just all over Kennedy Center, I'm just beginning to realize that my responsibility is, as Dr. Williams said in his prayer, to be a good steward of the gospel and to be a bold witness. And it's not easy for somebody who's relatively new to the fold. So I have begun to realize that God is not telling me, you need to go out and speak. Be, you need to be the Korean American, Tim Keller. No, no, and I tried that, and it believe me, it did not, it did not go well. Um, I believe that the Lord gave me these gifts, the work of my hands, so that I could be a strong witness, so that I could be a good steward of the gospel and of the kingdom through the music, through what I do best, and really, frankly, the only thing I know how to do, actually. So on that note... I want to say what a privilege it is, it has been to speak to you today. And thank you for laughing at my funny, my silly stories. And um, I would like to ask Dr. Harding to actually join me. And I'd like to end with prayer, but not, not my stumbling verbal prayer, but I'd like to play something for you. Um, by Johann Sebastian Bach. This is the Arioso. We performed this uh, in Nashville at the Getty's Big Conference this past September, and it's now available online and on a CD. Um, You can probably find it through their Sing Conference uh, website. Thank you so much, and God bless you all.